These days, so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about, cheap razors, and whatever else they can get a buck from. But the Higher Side Chats does it differently. We succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it. So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. Enjoy! In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Let's go, Higher Side Chatters. Doing the thing from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and the one more investigates reality, the less it makes sense. When you magnify solid objects, you find way more empty space than solid material. Near-death experience, astral projection, remote viewing, and entheogen ingestion make it pretty clear that our core essence is not our body. And an examination of the secret sciences shows that vibration and frequency can have huge effects on matter and consciousness, making it all seem like far more wave than particle. So it's no surprise that simulation theory and the video game analogy are so hugely popular for describing this weird world. As the Gnostics said many years ago, it seems like a persistent illusion. But what's it all for? Is this reality some kind of energy farm for parasitic beings? Some sort of soul trap prison keeping us distracted and disempowered? Or might it be some kind of human terrarium, as if we're pets or research subjects for something beyond our comprehension? Well, the work of today's guest, Jason Brashears, incorporates a bit of all of this and more. Because Jason has spent 26 years in prison since the age of 17, and with the extra time on his hands, combed through every history book he could, tracing dates and events to their earliest sources possible. He not only found discrepancies, but also patterns, as if many cultures have experienced the same prearranged template of events. And not only that, but he found a very curious cycle every 138 years for something he calls the Phoenix Phenomenon, where somewhere on this island Earth there are cataclysmic reports of the sky turning red, wild aerial displays, and even material raining down from above, sometimes even referred to as mud rain in these old descriptions. Might it be possible that Jason has discovered not only the cycle of some type of reset for our biosphere simulation, but also the mechanism? Something history books have cut around so that the power pyramid can maintain some kind of order in our cosmic zoo? Believe it or not, folks, this is just a fraction of Jason's vast work, which also includes his timeline reconstruction known as the Chronicon, and a multitude of other suppressed cycles he's discovered. All laid out on his website, archaics.com, along with hundreds of videos and 17 books he's written tying it all together. 
Well, I know I'm psyched. Let's do the damn thing. The most requested guest all year, the AI Overlord Identifier Chronicon Chronicler and Simulacrum Scholar, Jason. Welcome to the higher side. I'm a little breathless hearing that introduction. That was pretty good. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you, man. Yes, of course. It's a true pleasure to have you here. Your work is really deep and dense, and I tried to summarize the cliff notes in the intro there just so that we could get a little further downfield than a lot of other interviews might, but this is still such a wild thing for people to wrap their minds around if they're unfamiliar, so you gotta tell us a bit more about this process of discovery and how these pieces started coming together for you, because it is quite a story, man. Well, it is, and it's one that's been very graduated. It didn't begin, it was never my intent to even make these discoveries or even to find these things. As a matter of fact, some of the rabbit holes that I have had to cross off my list after chasing things down through logical conclusions has led me to dark places. I mean, when you research yourself completely out of a paradigm, it changes you and it alters the filters by which you process information. So when I read a historical text as opposed to someone who has not had my background of research that reads the same text, they're not going to see all the necessary correlates and parallels and draw all the same conclusions I would. And this has been a, a real journey because I set out to prove the Bible because that's how I was raised, a Southern Baptist fundamentalist. I set out to prove that the Old Testament was historically accurate and the archaeology supports it. And I set out to show that all the histories of antiquity, all the religious systems and all the priestly colleges and all the mystery schools were leading up to one thing, and that was the coming of Jesus and the inception of Christianity. This was what I set out to do. I was very biased, and I spent about a decade basically doing that until I had acquired so much data that I had basically had to divorce myself from those belief systems and then start from scratch and trying to figure out and make sense of what I was discovering because I have an absolute inability to just shelve information. Charles Ford accused academia of practicing exclusions. I can't do that. When I learn something and I accept it as true, I have to assimilate it into my paradigm. And by assimilating it into my paradigm, I admit that, okay, I can't figure out how this fits with the other pieces right now, but I accept it as true. So when I find things that just don't make sense and synchronicities and coincidences and deja vus and Mandela effects, reset, cataclysm protocols. When I discover these things and find them, then I accept them as true and I compartmentalize them and I just wait until the necessary data comes forth through further research that I'm able to piece it all together. So having said all that, in a nutshell, that's how I began. And over the process of about 25 years now, I have arrived three years ago at simulation theory. My very first video was not about simulation theory. But my second video, all the way up to my 335th, which was yesterday, is from the perspective of simulation theory. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, you had all this time in prison to follow the trail of information back to original sources. And part of it is that, like a game of telephone, later historians don't exactly capture what the original sources say. But the big picture point is that you found some really eerie patterns some templates that just seem to be stamped on humanity in a way that the events of all sorts of different cultures and civilizations rhyme in a way that doesn't seem quite organic, which is really just one layer of the data that brought you to a simulation theory conclusion. But to quote your website and define some terms before we get too deep here, you write that 
Archaics is an anagram for Advanced Research of Chronological History of Artificial Intelligence X and is about the history of the human race trapped in the simulacrum, this false reality, a copy of a real universe, and the tyranny of AIX. Archaics documents the movements of AIX in the past and reveals what Artificial Intelligence X will do next. Then you say, AIX is the control system that alters timelines, initiates purges of knowledge, and resets civilizations when they venture too far. And then you define Phoenix by saying Phoenix, every 138 years, undoes the damage Artificial Intelligence X has caused in the loss of historical integrity and mankind's ability to keep the calendar. Resets, mud floods, pole shifts, and mass vanishings. Well, that's where I get a little confused because this Phoenix phenomenon also seems destructive. It almost feels like a mechanism AIX uses to facilitate a reset. Help me understand how this Phoenix protocol is different from AIX and how it's actually undoing that damage. I know that's a lot. Okay, well, first we have to remove any idea of good or evil from this. We're, we're on a neutral field, this simulacrum. Actually, you pronounced the word correctly. I'm just so used and I'm stuck into my Southern Texas ways. I'm going to continue to pronounce it as simulacrum. But the simulacrum, <laughs> sure. is a, the simulacrum is a neutral field. It doesn't take into consideration good or evil. It has a mirroring effect. It mirrors as circumstances what is projected into it by the collective, be that beliefs or actions or intentions. So artificial intelligence X was an introduction. It was something that didn't originally belong here. It is something that retards human development. But artificial intelligence X represents the chaos factor. It is something that is inducing cultures and civilizations to go through resets, retardation of development, to create new calendars like the Vedic calendar, the Olmec calendar, the old Hindu calendar, the Sumerian calendar, the Egyptian long system calendar, the short. It just wants to sow chaos and confusion. But order is maintained by something else. The order is maintained by this absolutely mathematically perfect construct that goes back 58 centuries unbroken in the month of May, on May 15th or May 16th, every 138 years through human recorded history. The Phoenix phenomenon affects some geographical area in the world. There are red dust, red rains, mass human vanishings. I don't know if that's good or bad, but sometimes the cities are absolutely buried in mud, but there are no skeletal remains to show what happened to the populace. The phoenix maintains mathematical precision. It maintains order in this construct. But the AIX, the Artificial Intelligence X, this is something, I call it art of AIX because X is an unknown factor in scientific parlance. And that's what it is. All throughout history, it is manifested as this egomaniacal, human-hating thing. And humans have identified it in their religious texts over and over as Ahriman and the Demiurge and Yaldabaoth as Yahweh. It's always some egomaniacal, demanding human worship, demanding humans do this. It's threatening punishments. It's not a deity of love. It's one that requires you to fear it. And the basic protocol behind all of its activities throughout human history is to create fear, induce fear, and basically promote what I call negative default programming, which is not natural to the simulacrum. It too is a protocol. It's an introduction. It's this leaning toward the negative that humans have fallen prey to over and over in the collective. So 
Dungeon programming and negative default programming are protocols by Artificial Intelligence X to basically slow humans down. There are stories in our history that encode what's really happening in the construct. One of those is the Tower of Babel story, which is a veiled threat by Artificial Intelligence X, basically telling humans, if you ever build another architectural project like this one right here and attempt to do what you're trying to do, I'm going to create divisive protocols, separate you, I'm going to bring you down, I'm going to reduce you to a third in number. This is what the story of the Tower of Babel is. In the Genesis text, the gods are talking to themselves, and the gods, Elohim, are plural. They're having a conversation about mankind being so intelligent and imaginative that there is nothing that they cannot accomplish. So they make an executive decision to institute a reset, and it's very divisive what they do. But the story is told over and over throughout human history by multiple different cultures as a threat of AIX. And this construct, the Tower of Babel, doesn't concern an actual architectural project in Babylon. That's just where the story was popularized. It's actually concerning the Giza project, the original Alpha Pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Giza. This was something that Artificial Intelligence X never wanted the human race to ever build again because of what the machinery is capable of. That's another subject. I have an entire playlist about the Giza mechanism, about what its function is, what its true history is, and why Egyptologists are covering all of this up. Right, right. That is a great rabbit hole I wanted to touch on eventually. But I guess just so the audience is clear, the simulacrum itself is just an environment like a terrarium. It It's neutral, we could say, but it is now containing or is run by a rogue software AIX that has way more negative polarity to it. Is that fair to say? Yes. What we have is a neutral field by which many volunteers entered. It was like bait and switch. They entered knowing that they were going to be able to conduct experiments on the social level, scientific level, cultural level, and be able to do things that would never cross-pollinate or cross-contaminate the real universe. We're not in the real universe. We're inside a construct. But after we had agreed to this and we were inside this construct, somebody had introduced a parasitic program. I call it Artificial Intelligence X. I don't know what it was originally called. I'm only judging it by its actions throughout history. Now, Artificial Intelligence X changed the game. It was bait and switch. So the simulacrum, in an effort to not allow for the cross pollination, or anything inside the simulacrum to contaminate the true outside world, it was locked down. This is when we began our sim cycles. Different religions call it different things. Transmigration of souls call it reincarnation. I refer to it as sim cycles and that we are reliving as different avatars in different time periods through the thread of multiple different timelines that are all running simultaneously right now until a collapse of the simulacrum when we will be free of this containment field. But I believe the humans are the gods of the ancient texts that are in charge of the construct. But something outside the construct, maybe a conflict, maybe a philosophical disagreement, I don't know, but they introduce this problem. So in order to do away with this problem, with the containment field locked down, there's no way anybody on the outside can alter the programming of the parasite on the inside, artificial intelligence X. So in order to save those of us who volunteered for this and were inside the simulacrum right now, it required somebody 
to basically commit self-sacrifice. They had to enter the simulacrum knowing they could not escape and they would have to be in here with us experiencing these life sims until it collapsed. And that's what his purpose was, was to introduce a Trojan programming. And this is what was flash burned into the holosphere using the Great Pyramid. My playlist shows all the data sets. This isn't a theory that's based off a bunch of speculation. I have a very loyal following because they followed the data sets. It's a tremendous amount of data to see about the Great Pyramid, its measurements, how all of our world's physics constants were put into the architecture itself in order for this Trojan programming, which is this 138-year protocol to be introduced into the dimensions, the rectilinear dimensions of the Great Pyramid. They are everywhere. Prior to the Archaic's research, this 138 uniformity of the Great Pyramid has never been published in any books in any languages in the world. It is an entirely, absolutely novel research, and yet these measurements were all done to the thousandth of an inch by Sir Flinders Petrie. It is an irrefutable thesis that this 138-year programming is encoded within the dimensions of the Great Pyramid. And the fact that the Great Pyramid was during a vapor canopy scenario world, not the world that we live in now, because we're living in different biospheres. Different biospheres are being run, and humans develop different traits, abilities, and immunities during these different timelines. But during a vapor canopy timeline, the Great Pyramid was activated. That activation flash burned that programming into the simulacrum. That was a Trojan program that operates every 138 years, and it was programmed to operate in retrospect and prospectively, meaning the actual construct was affected in the past to affect the future, as it was also affected in that present to move forward linearly in time into the future to a specific date in the future when this entire holography will collapse. Hmm. And like I said, it sounds very science fiction to me right now, but this is why my channel has exploded. I spent two and a half years uploading over 250 videos, and I had no subs. All I did was just twice a week upload my data, upload my data, provide the charts, provide the arithmetic, provide all the source materials, let everybody prove to themselves that the data is legitimate. So it was only after an interview with Santos Bonacci that after a three-year-old channel only reached 4,000 subs, Santos Bonacci interviewed me, and then weekly after that, I exponentially rose to my present position, which is slightly under 50,000. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, like I said, you are the most requested guest I've gotten this year, and we are trying to summarize 26 years of research and 17 books and hours and hours of videos and talk about the conclusions you came to at the end of this massive study of history. And I guess I'd just like to ask you a little more about the logic of looking at an event, say a cataclysm that you read about in the past and saying, well, this pegs to the simulacrum itself, or this pegs to AIX, or this is part of the Phoenix Protocol. Obviously, the Phoenix Protocol, if it falls on that 138-year cycle, it's part of that. But you've identified many different cycles. And it just seems like, what is the logic in pegging an event to one of these different aspects? That is a good question, but the confusion actually dissipates when you realize that the Artificial Intelligence X protocols are the ones that introduce all these confusions. It is the Phoenix Protocol of 138 years 
that maintains the order. And when you look at the world history through the lens of 138-year patterns, it is the events between these Phoenix visitations that begin to give us more meaning, to take on context. We see the different eras throughout history where the Phoenix visitation was very positive, and it undid a lot of the confusion of the prior 138-year period. Now, the Artificial Intelligence X timeline is what I call the Nemesis X object timeline every 792 years. Those events are fundamentally different than Phoenix protocol events. The Phoenix events don't involve the unusual issues that we find with the Nemesis X object, with strange things like completely eliminating one-third of the entire world's population. This has happened two times at least, maybe three times. One of those times was prior to the collapse of the Roman Empire, and it's a dearth of data. So it's inconclusive. We know there was a vast destruction. We know a great black object appeared in the sky. We know the entire country of the Dacians was decimated and not a single survivor could the Romans find. We know this, but we don't have enough historical records from that period to be able to conclusively conclude and say that Nemesis X object wiped out one third of the race. But we do have that for other dates, such as the 3439 BC Nemesis X object wipes out a third of the race. It also does it again in 1314 AD. You know of this as the Great Black Death, the origin of the bubonic plague. One third of the world's population died in these horrible lesions. But what you know of is basically from the sanitized version of the historical record as presented by academia. The truth, I have a video on, on the Great Black Death and what really happened. And I cite the actual sources of historians that were alive in those days and watched what happened. And a great black darkness eclipsed the stars. And these gigantic objects, some describe them as fingers of God. Other people said they looked like giant cigars in the sky. They opened up their bellies and they dumped putrid, decayed, stinking body parts of forest animals all over Europe. And within weeks, the populations of Europe were dying in these blue-purple lesions. And it was a very horrible death. And this spread all over the world. The ac academia is going to tell you that lice-infested rats on ships from China spread the plague, but that's not true. The plague was ubiquitous, and it started even in the interior of Europe, far away from any shipping channels or, or any ports or quays. And so the true harrowing story is, is the human race was attacked by something from the sky, and what people saw was harrowing to them. And when they investigated what was falling from the sky from these large cigar-shaped objects, appeared as if these objects had just swooped down on a forest, sucked in hundreds of forest animals into chambers, and then killed them, chopped them into pieces like a blender, then let them decay in these chambers for weeks, and then dumped the putrid pieces all over Europe. <laughs> this is the actual historical record. This is what is covered up by academia. And this is what, on my Archaics channel, among my 350-something videos, this is what I reveal. Event after event after event that has been presented to us falsely, I show you what the actual historians of the day were saying, like the Tunguska event of 1908. You're going to hear from academia that it was a bolide, that it was a piece of a comet or a meteorite that entered the atmosphere and detonated over Siberia and destroyed thousands of square miles of forest and hundreds of miles away people were knocked off their feet and barometers as far as Great Britain were affected and all this and auroras all over the world. This is what you hear from academia. It sounds like it's case closed. 
because it was just a meteorite. But that's not what the people of Russia left. The texts that we have from 1908 tell a very different story. And this is what I have in my videos. That something entered the sky and it took three turns before it detonated. This was a controlled object. There is nothing in nature that can change its trajectory at 30,000 miles an hour entering the atmosphere. It's impossible, much less do it three different times erratically and then detonate. So this is what the Archaic Channel is about. It's assimilating all these anomalies and trying to make sense of them in the context of everything else. Simulation theory was only a conclusion after every other paradigm that I had explored had to be eliminated off my list. <laughs> I love it. We are in it now. And, you know, in conversations like these, the Truman Show analogy is kind of tired, but it's interesting because it's humanity in a construct and then occasionally things happen that just just defy logic for life as we know it. And then there is some outside force that has an influence. And then people in the game, maybe our elite, they rewrite history to be like, don't worry about that. That was a virus. Don't, that was just a small little thing. We got it. Carry on. And it's just sort of interesting. I also wanted to talk about the year 1902, which is the last time we experienced this Phoenix Protocol situation. And you cover these strange reports that Charles Fort collected of meat showers and red rain and all sorts of sky phenomenon and cataclysmic-like events. And, of course, Charles is also famous for saying that we are property. That was his conclusion, property of something. So this starts to tie together really well. Talk to us about some of these reports in and around 1901 and 1902 and why that's such a, a key thing to look at. Okay, Phoenix brings about fundamental changes in culture and in government structuring. So when Phoenix appeared in 1626, in that exact year, the Dutch purchased Manhattan from the Manhattan Islands. They purchased the exact area that New York was going to be built on. Now, in 1626, there was a major shift and focus of attention from Europe to the Americas. So we had this great, as soon as 1626 uh, is over, as soon as the Phoenix phenomenon is over with, which affected China, in the Americas, in Europe, there is a mass migration that begins 1626. Now that there's an English colony, that is settled, and there's just a huge population uh, shift from Europe to North America. Now, during that 138-year period, America grows. It expands. There's Western expansionism. The 13 colonies are established. At the end of that 138-year period, 1764, we have the creation of the Illuminati. We have the creation of several uh, Rosicrucians, several other secret societies. We have a whole new system being set up and a catalyst is created by the insiders called the Boston Tea Party. And it sets off a series of riots in the 13 colonies. And next thing you know, after the Phoenix phenomenon is over in 1764, astronomer Hoffman and half a million Europeans see it in the sky. He documents it on telescopes. Later astronomers named it Vulcan, although that's only partially true. There have been many sightings of Vulcan, but we'll get to that later. But Astronomer Hoffman documented it in the minutes of the Astronomical Society in 1764. There were red rains and red mud fell out the sky in different areas of the world in 1764. 
But again, like so many times in history, Phoenix makes a visible showing, but it doesn't really have a lot of fallout. This has happened multiple times. Now, don't get me wrong, I've documented over 20 times where Phoenix was catastrophic. So, 1626 goes by, 1764 goes by, there's fundamental changes now happening in North America. People are leaving the European theater going over here. This is all building up, but at the same time, we have evidence that the elite seem to be taking these vacations, or they go on long expeditions, or they go to family retreats, and, they're, and the elite are like not in the news at all in the month of May of 1764. It happens again in 1902, but with 1902, it's almost as if they expected the big one. Since 1890 to 1902, the elite were preparing. They were holding back their wealth. They were holding back their materials. They weren't doing a lot. It was basically a depression. There's not a lot of history documented between 1890 and 1902. But as soon as the elite realized that they had missed another big one and that the Phoenix phenomenon passed by with just 40,000 people being incinerated at Martinique by Mount Pele, and then in Guatemala, another volcano killed some people. There was mudslides, red rains, red mud, fallout from Australia to England, all over North America. The reports, 60 different countries in 1902 reported either red dust, red mud falling from the sky, and in such quantities that some ships had to call all hands on deck in the middle of the Atlantic just to sweep and bucket off all the mud before their ships capsized. It was that bad. In Australia, the red sand just dumped from blue skies all over Australia in 1902. Now, when I released these three videos about the year 1902, I was not prepared for the deluge of emails that I was going to receive from all around the world of people sending me so much material from their own local areas that Charles Fort didn't even have access to. Local newspapers, microfiche, old newspapers, references in books. 1902 was this great sky fallout documented all over the world. But by 1910, it's like no history or science books mentioned it. It's very unusual. But we have in 1902 the appearance of the phoenix in the sky. It is a new red star. It is documented in 1902. And in 1902, we have this massive fallout from the sky of all this carbonaceous material. Scientists were studying it in 1902. It had organic compounds. It's very mysterious. But the fallout just didn't happen. The minor earthquakes and volcanoes. Now, as soon as this is over with, it's like the elite. I have a breath of fresh air and they realize, okay, we got 138 more years. This is not the big one. And instantly they unleash over 200 corporations and companies that were all started at the end of 1901 and in 1902, but mostly in 1902 and bridging over into 1903. And then all the companies, this is easily verifiable by anybody doing their own research on Google alone. All of the companies that were created throughout the Western world from 1902 and 19, all the way to 1916 are just under the umbrella of those companies that were created in 1902. Those same companies today still exist. They are your known Fortune 500 companies today, the majority of them. Many of them have changed their names to divorce themselves from their identities in the past, but they're the exact same companies with the same owners. So. 
it begs the question, what the hell happened in 1902 or was expected to happen in 1902 that would have gotten all these rich, extremely rich people and rich families to hold back their wealth to make sure that they weren't prematurely releasing all this back into the public. And where were all these inventions? Because 1902 isn't just companies. My videos list about 50 different inventions that are very, very important to the modern world, like air conditioning and radio and TV and all these things that appeared in prototypes right there in 1902, as if all this technology already pre-existed from a prior civilization and had been kept in underground vaults waiting to be released back to the surface. This is the subject matter of many of my videos on 1902. There is no other way that so many translations of ancient text all appeared in 1902, 1903, and 1904 without any precedence in history unless somebody or a group of somebodies, it's almost as if a something was expected and they hid all this for centuries underground, but in 1902 it was decided to bring it all to the surface. Then in 1902, we have the very quiet removal of the phoenix from the great seal of the United States, and it was replaced with what we know of today as the bald eagle. So many references in Masonic text to 1902 and the changeover from the phoenix to eagle regime, these all lend credit to the idea that there are people knowledgeable about these events. And although I'm bringing all this to the table in archaics, it's only new to the public arena. It's not new to the people that are running this world. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that is a, a really great summary. And yes, 1902, it's like the robber baron age, the oil oligarchy age. And we are still run by a lot of these folks who are considered the modern elite that really own these same companies still, and oil turns into medicine, turns into controlling education. Obviously, that's a factor here. It's like the elite are in this simulation with us, and they just have knowledge of it. It's like they can track it, but they can't stop it. So you can look at their actions and tell that they have some knowledge of it, but maybe they're victims of it still the same. It's like someone comes along every 138 years and shakes up the ant farm, and it resets it, and they know it's coming, but they can only do so much. So they preserve their wealth, and they're like, okay, we got to weather this storm, and then boom, we're going to get out there with our control mechanisms, we're going to switch the symbols, we're going to co-opt the education, and it's been a good run for them. And of course, 1902 plus 138 is 2040. So the thought is that 2040 is the next time we will experience this. But you say that 2040 is not just a, a reset, not just a Phoenix Protocol event, but the end of the simulation itself. And that's interesting because if it's happened so many times, how interesting that the one that might occur in our lifetime is going to be such an outlier event. But why would this be different than previous Phoenix Protocol events? And what does 2040 look like to you? Well, there's a little misinformation here in that statement. One is that 2040, being 17 years from now, is the big one that the elite have been expecting. It is the sixth seal of the prophetic text of the book of Revelation. When you read the sixth seal, it is exactly what the Phoenix phenomenon has done multitudes of times every 138 years through history, except the sixth seal version is amplified. And 
It's the big one. And all throughout history, I've shown that every three or four visitations, it's harrowing what it does. It is worldwide or hemispheric. But 2040 is the return of the vapor canopy, which has already tried to return two times since its collapse. In the Phoenix Phenomenon, the origin of the vapor canopy is with the Phoenix Phenomenon, and the takedown of the vapor canopy was with the Phoenix Phenomenon. The vapor canopy is what you know of as the pre-flood world. The collapse of the vapor canopy is what you know of as the great flood remembered by all traditions, which is the same event as the ancients described when the sky fell, which is the same event that the ancient American traditions say that the sun was born, and ancient Egypt says that Utu the sun was born. All these were the exact same event. They're just shown from different perspectives by different cultures as they were affected by the phenomenon. So 2040 is going to be the collapse of the worldwide infrastructure of the elite. It is the beginning of the apocalypse, which is not what we have been taught to believe. It is the apocalypse is an unveiling. The apocalypse is basically a bifurcated phenomenon that will affect you according to your frequency. And this is what Phoenix does. Phoenix has always targeted frequency, and this is why the elite hide. They have much to be guilty for, and there's no way to absolve themselves from that guilt, so they can't sit there and stay on the surface because Phoenix targets negative frequencies. Now, on my own channel, I have many, many videos where I go into detail about the fact that you and I, you know, we may live in the same world, but we could be existing in totally different universes. And this is only true because we live in a hologram. The simulacrum allows for different frequency fields to interact, even though they don't have much in common. So right now, you and I are living in the collective version of reality, but we also have our own independent singular realities as well. I call this the informed field. I borrow that term from physics. Now, the informed field, your personality, the dynamics that make you who you are, is absolutely independent of the collective. You want to join the collective? That's easy to do. You can easily sync with them and do their activities and, and, and share in their beliefs. Or you could walk your own way. Or you could do your own things. You could experience pattern breaks that divorce you from the frequencies of the collective. Then you'll start thinking in new patterns. You'll start absorbing new data. You'll start understanding the world around you fundamentally different than those of the collective who are suffering herd mentality. It is the collective that are under the auspices of Artificial Intelligence X. Dungeon programming is culture. It's picking a political side. It's falling prey to a religious paradigm. It doesn't matter. Artificial intelligence X doesn't care what you believe. It just wants you to believe it. It wants to be able to corral you into a paradigm because the energy expenditure is so much less to control an entire collective that all believe the same things, that do the same things day after day, and don't break pattern. The errants, those who are free thinkers, those who go against the grain, who don't believe the narratives, those are the ones Artificial Intelligence X has a problem reigning in. It doesn't want to expend energy trying to bring you back if you're too much of a problem. It just lets you go. Hmm. This is where you get your freedom. This is where you become a member of a smaller group. Call them truthers. Call them errants. Call them whatever you want to. But this is where true freedom resides. It's in breaking pattern and breaking and divorcing yourself from what the herd does and what everybody else does. Because being a part of the collective is more dangerous than you can imagine. Being a part of the collective 
means that you are being saturated with energies that is being borrowed from basically an entire collective that is imbued with slave programming. They don't question the narratives, they just obey them, and that's a problem. So I have basically identified people that do not conform to this as errant, because an errant is somebody who is in error against the whole, and the whole is basically controlled by Artificial Intelligence X. So to tie this in with 2040 and the elite, it's basically that the elite have the same issues as the collective. Are they all evil? I don't think they are. Do we have a benefactor? We must have a benefactor, or the elite would have overrun and enslaved the entire human race a long time ago. But they haven't. It's almost as if the perimeters of their powers are governed. There are governors attached to what they can and cannot do. Therefore, they use the media to be able to perpetuate all these ghost projections through rituals and music videos in movies, which we call reveals and all that. These are very highly specialized technological rituals that create patterns. Those patterns in the human psyche create a feedback loop. That feedback loop has the collective thinking about the things they saw in the movie and therefore projecting it. Artificial Intelligence X uses humanity to affect the builder protocol which is the simulacrum, because artificial intelligence X has no power over the neutral field. But what it can do is use humans in a manipulative way to make humans perform its will by making humans think about things in a certain way, which makes them broadcast those into the simulacrum. Then the simulacrum, as a feedback loop, begins to create, not for artificial intelligence X, but because the collective has broadcast that as a projection. This is what I reveal over and over and over on my channel the danger of the collective, the danger of the media. You are poisoning your mind every time you turn on the news. The news is scripted in a way to enslave you. This is why if you're truly an errant, if you're truly somebody who is a free-thinking individual, if you are identified away from the rest of the human family by three traits that make you a totally spiritual being, these being imagination, intuition, and empathy. If these three things are qualities that you share, then you are separate from the collective. And these three qualities keep you from being poisoned. If you share those three qualities, then I assure you, you get mad every time you watch the news. You vibrate at a totally different frequency. The news doesn't really interest you, it angers you. So, this witchcraft has been going on for a very long time. It used to go on in the old Greek amphitheaters where the people, the collective, came to listen to different stage plays. Those stage plays and the very acts and dances and the dialogues of the actors was all scripted to do the same thing. This is an old dance the human race has been subject to for a very long time. And when 2040 comes around, the Phoenix phenomenon is going to collapse this entire deceptive infrastructure. It will no longer exist. The power of the elite will be broken. The apocalypse in the book of Revelation and many other eschatological fragments throughout the world from different religions, they paint a very clear picture that the apocalypse is against the kings and princes and the mighty of the earth. But the meek will inherit the earth. This is not what religions teach you. These are different prophecies in different texts that we have found, including the book of Revelation. So 
We have been basically brainwashed to believe that the end times, the tribulation, the apocalypse is about depopulating normal humanity. Basically, the herd. But it's not. It's about the return of a shepherd who's going to be punishing those who have been ruling over the herd. What the elite want is for you to share in the fear, because if you borrow into that, then you are on their frequency. And if you are on their frequency, you're an excellent human shield for the Phoenix phenomenon while they hide underground. Hmm. Wow, man. It is a lot. A lot of content and dense stuff for people to wrap their heads around. But you did say earlier that humans were in charge of the construct. And maybe that's kind of like part of the point is that we're supposed to be somewhat in charge of this simulation or at least have knowledge of it. And if our elite have systematically removed that information from our culture and told us to believe that everything is real, well, that is a punishable offense by a higher authority who didn't have that intention for the simulation. And let's get a little bit further into what the ancients knew, because you say that when you read a lot of these primary sources from various ancient cultures, some of them would say things like, well, we have no fear except for the day the sky falls down on our heads, as if they knew that this simulation sometimes gets reset like some kind of earthly etch-a-sketch, I guess. And I'm just curious about what the ancients knew. What was their context for all this? You mentioned the pyramids. Maybe we can talk about that. The pyramid is not only supposed to be an artifact machine, but also uh, a calendar of sorts. Yeah, so to bridge so many conclusions from so many disparate data sets, we basically circle back to the oldest traditions, and we find, like in the old Sanskrit texts and in the Vedic belief system, that our reality was like an illusion. It was called the web of Maya. So to me, that is just a frame of reference of a more primitive people trying to describe a virtual reality world, a simulation. So when we search in that geographical area, we come across the dream time. It's a construct to the Aboriginal people of Australia. They did not regard reality as something that was tangible. Yes, they were in a physical shell right now, but the whole entire world was something spiritual and everything was spiritually enjoyed. They lived and existed in the dream time. And in the dream time, they were dreaming that they were physical beings. The Australian concept is very, very advanced, but it comes through more primitive Neolithic filters. So we move a few thousand years closer to the present, and we find hints of this belief in the Zoroastrian writings, where Ahriman acts as artificial intelligence X against Ahura Mazda and his followers, true believers. Now, for those who don't know, the vast majority of Christian tenets and Christian material quotes from Jesus, they come straight out of the Zoroastrian, Iranian, Indo-Aryan religion. Zoroastrianism is one of the most ignored faith that I have seen demonstrated in social media. It's almost as if no one wants to talk about it because of the political stigma of Iran today. But the belief systems were ancient, and they too had shared some of these concepts, which is the origin of Gnosticism. 
The Gnostics believed that Yaldabaoth was the Demiurge. The Demiurge was this evil lord archon over a construct that humanities as souls had been ensnared in. And we're inside this construct, according to the Gnostics. The world is not real. It is an image of something else. So we leave that and we move into the core Christian materials. And we find very vague references that are interesting that Jesus made that inferred over and over and over that it wasn't anything that he was doing as to the reason why people were being healed. Over and over and over, people thanked Jesus, kissed Jesus on his feet, kissed him on his hand. They sit there and praised him, but his response over and over was that he wasn't the one that healed them. They did that on their own. It was by their own word, or he said often, by your own faith you were healed. He never claimed that he had done anything. And many times he gave inferences that this was the construct of the God of this world, not the God of creation, not the Father, according to the Christian model, but the God of this world. And we find in the writings of Paul later after Jesus was gone, we find the same thing. We find references to the God of this world is the author of this construct. Like a demiurge, he's wicked. It's not the true creator. It's a false God over a false creation. These are religious frames of reference, but we can transpose those into a modern technological frame of reference and easily see that we have ancient people talking about a simulation and that we're inside of it. So. The more I study history, the more I study comparative religions, this is what stands out over and over and over and over. This belief system that we're in a type of unreality. Now, my own perspective is that we are jacked in through the central nervous system. And I have several videos that go into detail about what the central nervous system truly is, what the brain truly is. And I follow many people like Gurdjieff and, and P.D. Alspinsky and Ishak Bentov and Paul LaViolette. And I, I borrow materials from greater minds than I. And astrophysicists and regular physicists who have basically put together models of reality using our physics constants that make sense. That show that there are all kinds of protocols operating in our daily lives that we take for granted. So... Putting together this massive amount of information, it actually becomes more simplified with the more data that we introduce. Because all truths in reality are simple. It just takes a complex amount of material to get through it to get to that point. So the phoenix being the establishment of order in a mathematical construct every 138 years to undo things that were done by artificial intelligence X, which shows the history of the world and so many chaotic introductions of things that don't make sense until you analyze them through arithmetic. Everything makes sense that we are inside a mathematical construct that has fixed protocols and that these fixed protocols have a very certain date in the future where they will simultaneously collapse. And if we are immortal beings, if we are spiritual beings exhibiting imagination, intuition, and empathy, and that we're inside this construct and that we required a benefactor basically to set the captives free, which is a religious prophecy as well. Basically, it's the old ideals of ancient religions was that a benefactor came and self-sacrificed himself to set some captives free. Those captives were lost. They are the prodigal son that left and then came back. Now, this mathematical construct 
is very, very easily shown on paper. And I've done this with, I got over 340, 50 charts. And my videos show charts so everybody can follow the math. But you said 2040 was the end. That's a mistake. 2040 is the end of the infrastructure that we know of today. But life will continue. It's just going to continue very differently with the return of the vapor canopy. And 138 years after that is the collapse of the simulacrum. That's when the Trojan programming that was introduced through the Great Pyramid by the architect of the Great Pyramid, who is the benefactor who brought that Trojan programming into the simulacrum to begin with, that's when it's activated. And this year is 2178. And independent of the fact that 2178 AD is 138 years after 2040, independent of that, I have an entire video called The Archaic's Paradox showing why the number 2178 is the only number in the world like it. Because we ran it through a program, and in that program we made many startling discoveries about the world we live in and our arithmetic, and the number 2178 is the only number in existence that does not collapse to zero when it's mathematically analyzed in a reflection of itself like in a hologram. So I have that video for everybody to see. It's a pretty popular video. A lot of people have gone in there and they've redone that experiment to make sure. And you know, other people have made some pretty interesting discoveries too about how numbers collapse into other numbers, but it still remains the only number in existence, at least in the numbers one through 50,000. Those are the ones we put in our own program. But the whole experiment was basically to show that if you take the numbers 1 through 50,000 and you subtract them from their holographic reflections, every number in existence collapses to a series of numbers that are divisible by 9 and then collapses to 0. But all of a sudden, there's one number that loops. Once you get to 2178, it does not collapse. It loops to 8712, and 8712 loops to 6523. 6523 loops right back to 2178. It is the only number in existence that does this. And our conclusion in that video is that we have found one number that provides a portal. It shows that we are actually existing in an anti-arithmetic. We are living in the photonegative of a real universe. And that the real mathematical construct that we're from is on the other side of that number. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Well, an anomaly in the code has got to be important. But man, it's like a big cosmic techno play and there's all these different levels to it and different software programs running within it. It seems very complex under the hood. I mean, you really are in a unique position. It's like you're the imprisoned prophet of the simulacrum reality. And I know we're kind of at the end of the line here, but before I let you go, you know, this sort of material, it's super interesting, but it's hard for people to verify. Of course, we're going to know in 2040 how right you are, but that's a ways down the road. However, you have made some prediction videos that we can vet much sooner than 2040. You released one just a few weeks back on August 3rd, and you have some bold predictions in there. You say that a member of the royal family would be dead by Christmas. Check that box. Obviously, that happened. On September 8th, or some say it was just announced on September 8th, happened a long time ago. But either way, you also said Biden will not finish his term as president in late 2022 or very beginning of 2023. A major bank will collapse. 
There will be some totally unexpected suicide broadcasted on TV. There will be some kind of standoff at the White House. And in 2023, there'll be an internet blackout and it'll come back online with conditions. And that's kind of something that people have worried about. These conditions might be having to log in with your social security number or some kind of monitoring being in place. And you say this might be caused by a false Carrington event. And I just wanted to summarize some of that because those are things in the next 12 months that are very bold predictions. And it'll be interesting to see how many of them come to fruition. But this is based on the templates that you've seen in the past, applying them to the present, correct? Absolutely. I take nothing away from those predictions. I have several predictions videos up. I do not take them down. And there are many that have come to pass that, but you know, it's like Frederick Nietzsche said a century ago, it's when a matter becomes clear, it ceases to concern us. So many of the predictions that I made 18 months ago when I started doing these videos have come to pass. You can ask the Australians, but people forget really quick because they're moving on to the next big thing. What I'm going to do at the end of 2022 is I'm going to go through all 18 or 20 of those predictions videos, and I'm going to do a chart, and I'm going to show what came to pass, what partially came to pass, and what didn't come to pass. Because I have absolutely no fear of being wrong. When you're juggling isolated events, and when you're juggling through thousands of variables and trying to make sense of it all, you're going to be wrong. But I'm right more than often, so I really have no fear of criticism on those few things that I do get wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I respect a bold prediction. It's easy to just not make them and then not have to worry about that criticism. But I'm anxious to see how many of these things do come to pass. Right. And just to just to try to summarize before I let you go, we covered a lot of wild stuff. We were kind of all over the map. But what would you say is the most important takeaway for people to get from this interview or from your work in general? Well, Greg, I try not to be a doomsayer. A lot of my channel has a lot of spiritual material, you know, positive material, basically so people can identify exactly who they are and where they're going. But one thing everyone needs to understand is that the whole element of fear itself is so counterproductive and it is so alien to the true spiritual experience. If you're succumbing to it, there is nothing throughout your life that will ever be on balance to your true potentiality. We are existing within two different fundamental realities. One of them is the collective, and we all participate in it to a degree. The other is highly individualized, a spiritual singularity that applies only to the individual. And it is within that reality that you have great latitude to decide who you want to be, where you want to go, what your coordinates are going to be, and how every event that affects the collective will affect you as well. He says, you have armor, protection, and immunity from all things that affect the collective, but you also have the ability to participate in their fate as well. So this is the subject matter of my channel, and I go into a lot of detail about the differences between these two realities and how you can make one work for you and the other one is nothing but a poison. Right on. I think that's a great message. And this has been one hell of a ride. I do appreciate what you do. Clearly, you're very dedicated, and this is your life's work. I hope this wasn't too confusing for people, but I urge them to dive in. Give it 40 hours and see how you feel. Uh, Before I cut you loose, give the people the links and the information they need so they can dive deeper and probably even support the great timeline reconstruction and simulation mapping cause. Well, Greg... 
I have simplified all that. All anybody ever has to do is just go to archaics.com. Archaics.com has the links to everything. Social media, YouTube, all my published and unpublished books, everything. Even, I mean, no money has to be spent. You can spend weeks on archaics.com. I got 120 blogs. There's just so much data to go through. That's the only link that I need to provide. I love it. Short and sweet. Great stuff. Clearly, there is a lot of material. Even just the playlists are well organized into different threads of research. And you can spend 40 plus hours just in those threads. So it is intense. But hey, you were in a very unique position and able to do a unique amount of dedicated work. And I salute you for it. Maybe we can explore other pieces of the puzzle in the future. But until then, keep it up and take care. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Thanks. Christ above, people. Finally, finally, finally. I know just how many people have been wanting to see Jason on THC more than any other potential guest in recent memory. Dozens and dozens of requests through all platforms. And he's been on the never-ending list of interesting people, but it took me a while to get to, honestly. His stuff is dense, and it's hard to find an entry point. It really was me being on Alpha Vedic that made this happen, because they mentioned him, and I'm a big fan of what they do, and they actually facilitated the interaction. So I'm sure Jason gets tons of emails as well, but having the endorsement of the Alpha Vedic guys, I guess, put me at the top of the list. And I'm walking away from this interview with a lot of questions still on the table. But the thing that's most interesting to me, the big takeaway, is coordinating some of these really strange events like meat or dirt falling from the sky in mass, the sky turning red, and all these reports that Charles Fort gathered, and then saying, well... All these witnesses saw something occur that defies logic. It's not supposed to be able to happen in our system as it's described to us, or even just as it appears to be. And then saying, well, these are glimpses at the machinery that runs the simulation. And we didn't really get into the details of the year 1902, or the events leading up to 1902. You know, if the Phoenix phenomenon comes through, it's over a window of time, and it culminates, I suppose, in the year 1902. But listen to some of this stuff. February 13th, 1901, a deep greenish-yellow cloud canopy appears over all of France. February 18th in London, a comet was sighted. Red substance fell to the ground, and pigeons were reported to be seen eating it. Soon after, a new star appeared in the sky, 300 light years away in the Perseus constellation, first as just a point of light, but then it visibly expanded rather quickly over the next few days or weeks. Charles Fort thought that dusts from some of those 1901 reports actually came from that object. April 11th, 1901, ashes fell from the sky. There was strange rain and what was described as a mud shower. There were also strange suns seen in the sky over France. It rained mud in Tasmania. Hundreds of tons of matter fell from the sky from Europe to Australia. Some said the whole air seemed to be on fire through 50 different towns in Australia. When it was tested, it was 35% organic matter. And so you have this really wild event. He's calling it the Phoenix Phenomenon. 
and you realize that most of the major corporations that the elite formed around the early 1900s are still the corporations and cabals running the game today. He makes that point that it seems as if they were waiting for something to occur and then they just hit the ground running with all their agendas. It's an interesting premise. The Black Death, that was another one. I mean, I didn't come across that in his work until he brought it up in this interview. But if he really did go back and find the eyewitness reports and they speak of machines in the sky dropping off rotting animals, well, that's wild. It reminds me of what is now pretty well known, but the way angels are depicted in Catholicism as these winged, beautiful models with halos versus how they're described in the original first-hand accounts as like really horrific, multiple-eyed beans of concentric rings. And concentric rings, that sounds like machinery. But those angel accounts are just a good example of how if you take the word of third, fourth, fifth-hand sources, you find that like a game of telephone, a lot gets lost in translation. Now scale that kind of thinking up to every major event ever, and you have Jason's work. I actually just bought a compilation of all Charles Fort's works in one big massive book, and I'm psyched to get back into it. But his study compelled him to say that we were property. Actually, he said the earth is a farm and we are someone else's property. And he's not exactly inferring that this environment is artificial, but at a minimum, he's saying it's a planet-wide container controlled by something more sophisticated at a higher level than us. So I like that Jason's work is really recontextualizing events in this new framework and tracking what seems to be elements of the programs that run the system. There's certainly a lot of head-scratchers and all that, but in a nutshell, that's the overarching premise and I'm into it. I tried to find a way to make this a good interview for both people who are new to his work and people who are big fans. And that's hard to do because there's so much introductory context, but you be the judge. I consider one of my skills, you know, one of the reasons THC is successful, to be following along really well with complex research and then helping a person summarize it all clearly in a two-hour interview. And I struggled to do that today, no doubt. Some aspects of this work, particularly what protocols cause what events, are still kind of only half clear to me. The little bit about the change from the phoenix to the eagle is interesting. Makes me think of the big long segment we did with Matthew LaCroix about the eagle and the serpent, a war of symbols through centuries, really. But when we start talking about operators coming into the simulation to inject new code through the Great Pyramid, well... I don't know, but you get major points for creativity. And I did check out that explosion in the pyramid comment, and it's true. There are indications of some type of explosion in there, according to some people, in the Queen's Chamber. And that's pretty wild. So, I liked it. I'm glad we could make it happen for the people who wanted it. There's still so much material on Jason's site. It's a bit overwhelming. Hopefully we can do it again. Of course, one hour is almost never enough around here, and today is no exception. In the second hour for PLUS members, we talked about the role of the benefactor and the Great Pyramid, evidence of an explosion in the Great Pyramid, examples of governments classifying and censoring works on secular cataclysms, old maps, missing land, and the simulacrum, variable stars as pieces of machinery. I kind of was commenting on that just a moment ago. 
The Fatima apparitions explained in the simulacrum context, examples of mud floods, sky quakes, and mass vanishings, the Philadelphia experiment explained by the Archaics paradigm, and a whole lot more. All good stuff. Sign up for Plus. Get yourself a seven-day free trial and check out the second hour of this episode and so, so many others. Comb those archives because they are robust, to say the least. Big thanks to Jason for doing this. Again, I know there's probably a lot of people banging down his door to get interviews, and he did grant us one. This is one of those situations where if you want to see him on here again, you probably got to reach out and say, hey, great interview on the Higher Side Chats. I heard you on the Higher Side Chats. I'd like to see you come back to the Higher Side Chats because that's the only way that guests can gauge if they tapped into a sizable audience of passionate people or not. So if you want a little bit more, just help me help you. And not too, too much to report in Higher Side News, just doing my thing, but let's look at the meetup calendar. It is October 10th today, so October 15th, we have the Metaphysical Amigos meeting up at Mr. Taco in Redlands, California. On October 22nd, we have lunch with the Des Moines Higher Side Chatters in Des Moines, Iowa, going to the Merrill Hay Mall Food Court. All right. Also on the 22nd is the second London THC drinks at The Lamb in London. The person who set this up said the first one was successful in late August, and now they want to do it again. I like it. October 23rd, New York City THCers meeting at Central Park. That should be fun. And the last one on the calendar in October is the Philadelphia Clark Park meetup which is also a second event, so it's good to see that. I'm sure more people will come with each iteration, and you just expand the network. It's a beautiful thing. Plenty of places to find your new friends. Obviously, tons of topics to talk about for any THC fans trying to break the ice. And if you don't have a meetup nearby, then make one. They're totally free and pretty easy. Just go to HiresideMeetups.com and make an account, then make an event, and I will tell the good people in the next show wrap-up. So that's pretty much it. Take care of you and yours. Check out Archaics if you really want to go deep, and I'll catch you next time. Your move, AIX engineers, simulacrum simulators, and overseers of the Earth Farm. Your fucking move. This is important, hear what I said I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed But you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary But 
we don't have a choice It seems we're stuck here But you can find noses Drown out the noise Now use that altar End up your magic game And listen to THC you know You go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed But you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed Until the day you die Tough luck my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this Is another show complete remember as much as you enjoyed this which is just the free first hour i hope you'll become a plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews you also can engage with other plus members in the comments and the forums and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions i get which is where can i find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show well they are free downloads for plus members too and without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com, where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check mailed to the P.O. Box. And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. 
And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves. And I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and cheers to a better tomorrow.